All right, we're going to talk about giving tonight. Everybody good with that? All right. Uh, so for the offering, let me uh, let me put this out there uh, for you. Uh, a big hello for everybody who's online. Thank you guys for for being a part of the service. Uh, we want you guys not to just join in, but to worship and to be a part of it. So uh, we planted a church in Guinea-Bissau. How many of you know where Guinea-Bissau is at? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's just north of Benel. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's in West Africa. And so we planted a church there, and it's doing so well that they're splitting off and planting a church from that. And so we've got another church plant that's coming um, from that. And so the it, it's uh, $200 a month to support the pastor of the church that we're planning off of the original church that we planted there in Guinea-Bissau. And so what we're doing tonight is we're taking up an offering to cover the cost for this pastor. Our goal is $2,400 so that uh, they'll have two years of support for the pastor as we get this church planted. Um, and, you know, and if you look on the map and you find out where Guinea-Bissau is at, it's kind of place you, you would, if you don't know it because of, one particular reason you'd never know it was there, uh, and yet we have we have partnered with uh, with the church planner. We have a great church going there, and an opportunity to plant another church to spread the gospel. So we're going to take up the offering. So whether you give through the app, uh, whether you give online, uh, just go to the Wednesday night highlight. Just go to Wednesday night. Everything that you give on Wednesday night goes directly to uh, to that um, uh, mission. And so you can give here as well as you guys, uh, go on your way out, but, uh, we're going to raise $2,400 to support this pastor for two years. Everybody good with that? Yeah. All right. So let's talk about giving. So in, how many of you are in rooted going through it? Okay. A handful of you, uh, it's a, it's a study basically based upon the seven rhythms of spiritual life as we've read in Acts chapter two, um, and verse 42 through 44. And so the topic of this study tonight is the spiritual rhythm of the book calls it sacrificial giving. Now I talked to my buddy and, and I, and I said, I wasn't going to do this, but I am going to do this. So the phrase is called sacrificial giving. So let me ask you a question, church. Those of you that are, that are Bible, uh, literate, right? Have read the Bible, studied the Bible enough to be able to answer this question. So when you go to the Old Testament and you see the sacrifices that the Israelites were commanded by God to give, right, in their relationship with the Lord, those sacrifices that the Israelites gave daily and some multiple times a day, those sacrifices were designed to do one thing, one thing and one thing only for the person giving it and the relationship with the Lord. Do you know what that was? Those sacrifices were designed to appease, right? To appease the Lord, right? I'm an Israelite. I'm a sinner. So what do I do? I kill a goat. I sacrifice it on the altar to do what? To appease God. Everybody say the word appease, right? Everybody good with what that word means, right? To satisfy, to basically satisfy a demand. Right? Even in the pagan world, sacrifices were given as a way to appease an angry God. Which is why parents 
would sacrifice their children to the god Molech for one reason. To appease the god. Right? Those are what sacrifices are designed to do. So let's fast forward. We use phrases like sacrificial giving. I looked it up. That phrase is nowhere ever found in scripture. You will never find the two words sacrificial giving combined together within the confines of either the Old Testament or the New Testament. And yet we call giving sacrificial. Here's the problem. Sacrifices made to God are designed to appease God. They're designed to satisfy a demand of God. And I have a problem with calling giving sacrificial. Because our giving is not designed to appease God. It's not designed as a sacrifice that God demands of us and we give our 10% or our whatever we give to the church, right? Whatever we give, right? We're not doing it to satisfy God. I talk to people all the time, right? 30 plus years of ministry. You can't be in ministry without talking about money, right? And the reality is this. A lot of people who don't give anything will always follow up and say to me, but you know what? I give them my time. Right? I give them my talent. Because why? They're trying to justify that because they want me to understand, listen, I'm appeasing God. I'm satisfying His demand that I give sacrificially. What I want, to, what I want and what I hope that you'll learn from Scripture tonight is that you'll understand that giving is not a sacrifice. Giving is an act of worship. And there is a huge difference between those things. Sacrifice... Sacrifice, sacrifice identifies the worth, the worth that you have on yourself. Worship identifies the worth you put on something else. And see, most of us give based upon our worth. Well, you know, if I've got anything left, I give. I don't, I I can't really give because I don't really have much. And we justify our giving or explain our giving. Maybe not justify. That's probably too harsh a word. We explain our giving based upon our worth. And then if we give above our worth, we call it sacrificial. Because we want people to understand, I'm doing this to satisfy God. Here's the thing you need to understand. God does not need your money. Right? He doesn't need your money. Acts 17 says God doesn't need us as if, as if we can bring him anything that he's going to need, right? Worship. When people worship something, what they say in their worship is this is the value I place upon you. I'm willing to worship you. I'm willing to stand. I'm willing to raise my hands. I'm willing to raise my voice. I'm willing to do this. Why? Because I think you're worthy of this. I mean, I, I love football. I love sports, but I love football and I love the Chicago Bears. And my, one of my favorite things in the world used to be to go to a Bears game in Chicago. Those are my people, right? Because when I go to Chicago, the parking lot is full of Green Bay Packer fans. No, it's full of what? Bears fans. And you know what they're doing? They're worshiping, right? 
They've got their jerseys on. They got their face painted. They got flags flying from their car, right? They've got footballs with the bear logo on it. They got their coolers with the bear logo on it. They're playing the fight song. They're wearing jerseys from 1955 all the way to 2000. They are my people. And you know what I find out when I go there? I find out how much value people place upon the bears. Because it's evident everywhere. Because that's what worship does. And yet, I think most people, I think most people see giving as a sacrifice. A sacrifice is designed to appease. Worship is designed to value. And I believe with all my heart, the scripture teaches that distinction. So we're going to talk through that tonight. So I'm going to, I'm just going to jump right in and talk about this. I, I hate, I don't. I don't like it when we use human language to trick our mind into feeling secure about something. So when we say sacrificial giving, that makes it sound like, man, we are just, we're just going above and beyond and doing all we can. And we're, we're making this about me. So I, my giving is, things are so tight. And we say, and listen, I'm not minimizing that story. That's been my story lots of times in my life. I'm not minimizing it if it's your story. All I'm saying is when you turn that story into the phrase, every bit of giving is sacrificial, you've now made this about you and you haven't made it about what the Bible teaches it about. I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't choose to preach this. This is part of the, the process here. My hope, is, my hope isn't that it increases your giving. My hope is that scripture will change your heart about what giving is. And through that change, you'll be able to, you'll be able then to see what it is you decide God's worth is. Because I'm going to say, I'm going to say this again. So I'm just going to say it now. So we're all on the same page. I don't believe biblically there's any act, any act defined in scripture that more reflects your love of God than the act of giving. And I'm not talking about your time. I'm not talking about your talent. I'm not talking about your car. I'm not talking about your home. I'm talking about the literal act of giving, right? Giving financially. I don't think biblically there is anything that is more important and more reflective of our love of God than the act of giving. And we're going to walk through that scripturally. So, if you're new, we're glad you're here. We don't talk about money all the time. Uh, so please don't let this affect you about whether you come back or not. Uh, because next week we'll talk about something else you don't like. So just come on back, right? It'll be good. It'll be good. I'm torn, by the way. I mean, worship was awesome. Amen? Yeah, you could clap for those guys. They were awesome, right? But, but I can't have my worship pastor out here preaching a 12-minute sermon. Right? I'm just kidding. It's a great, great testimony, right? So we're, we're, we're talking, we're, we're talking through this, this process of giving. We don't hand out notes. So if you're new, if you're watching online, the notes are always through the, on the YouVersion Bible app. You can find them when you go to the events tab. Just find Tamoka, click on it. Scriptures that we cover are always going to be in there. You can use that to even take notes if you want to. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to point out three biblical, what I think are three biblical truths about giving. Here's the first one. Giving allows expression of thanks to God by others. Your giving and my giving, right? Your giving and my giving allows other people to express their gratitude toward God. Let's read a couple scriptures. 2 Corinthians 9, 12 through 14. Here's what Paul writes, right? He says, so these people have 
collected, he's telling them the story about collecting money, right? To get to Jerusalem, to help the people that are in terrible poverty, right? He's talking to them about the act of giving, right? Collecting money specifically. We're not talking, hey, everybody jump on a mission trip and give us your time. No, no, no. He's talking about literally collecting people's money for the purpose of benefiting other people. He says that service that you perform right? The act of giving to meet needs. He said, that's not only supplying the needs of God's people. Stop right there. I'm going to tell you this. Do you know that this church has raised over 50,000? You've given over $50,000 to help people as a result of Hurricane, Hurricane Ian. Yeah. And not only did you give over $50,000, you didn't rob from Peter to pay Paul you continued to give your normal giving on a weekly basis. So just amazing what you do. And Paul says that act of giving isn't just supplying the needs of God's people. Look what it says it does. But it's also what? It's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Listen, do you, maybe, maybe you don't know this because maybe you've never seen it happen. But when you give and that gift goes to meet the needs of other people, that gift allows other people to give gratitude to God. That's an amazing thing, right? Your giving supplies not just the need, but allows for gratitude toward God himself. And here's why that's important. Look at, look at, I'll, I'll come back to that, but go to the next passage there, Matthew five sixteen. Here's what Jesus said. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Listen, there is something powerful that happens when a believer gives to meet the needs of others. Because in so doing, you don't just meet their need. It allows that person to say to God, thank you. Thank you. Right? I'll hear Elijah tonight. Talk about God loving us versus God loving me. Right? One of the greatest ways the gospel communicates to other people that God doesn't just love us, but he loves me, is when we give to meet the needs of other people. Every person that we've handed a, a, a gift card to, every person that we have helped meet a need through your, through your giving, every one of those people, every one of those people have the ability now in many different expressions to give thanks to God. That's what giving does, right? It allow, it it allows that to happen. Your giving has more power than you can even imagine, right? We're always looking for the right words to say. The number one question I have gotten over 30 years of ministry isn't about dinosaurs, right? That's not the question I get asked the most. The number one question I get asked over and over again by people is, man, I've got so-and-so in my life and I just don't know, what to, don't know what to say to them. I'm hoping, Pastor, you could, you could help me figure out what words to use to say to these people so that they will believe or they'll find God or whatever. Listen, there ain't no words. You know what leads people to God? You letting your good deeds shine before other men so they can see it and glorify Father in heaven. Right? Listen, outside of this... I try to talk as little as I can because there are not a lot of things I say that anybody really cares to hear about. It took me 50 some years to figure that out, right? I thought everybody wanted to hear what I had to say, right? But I realized that's not true. 
I talk up here and I can, t- listen, we could stay here till 10 o'clock at night and I could preach to you, right? We could even find a window you could fall asleep in and fall out of, right? I got no problem with that, right? But outside of that, it's not my words that make a difference. What makes a difference is my actions. And you know what giving does? Giving reflects an action that allows other people to not just have their needs met, but allows them to express gratitude toward God. And that has the power to lead those people to not just thank God, but to praise your Father in heaven. Right? That, that's a powerful thing. Right? Go back to that Second Corinthians passage. I see it right there. Let's finish it out. He says, because of the service, service of giving... Right By which you've proved yourselves, Paul writes, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Leave that right there. Do you see what he said? Your act of giving is a reflection of your obedience that accompanies your confession of Jesus. Do you know what confirms your confession of Jesus? It's not church attendance. And I say that, I say that, and I still want you to come, okay? It's not going on a mission trip, but I still want you to go on a mission trip. Do you want confirms your confession to Jesus is your obedience to what? Give. To give. You see, giving, giving is an incredible mirror. And you can see a lot about your walk with Jesus based upon the giving. And we want to minimize it because we're like, listen, there's more to give to God than just money. Of course there is. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about your money and my money. And what he says is that that doesn't just meet people's needs and doesn't just lead people to thank God. It leads them to praise God. Why? Because you were obedient to the confession that you made about the gospel of Jesus. He goes on to say this. And for your generosity, right, it'll lead men to praise God for your obedience to the confession. And they'll praise God for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. He says, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you, right, because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Right? Listen, you want to get people to pray for you? Meet their needs. You want to get people to praise God? Give to meet their needs. You want people to be confirmed by your confession? Don't tell them about it. Show them. And don't show them by the sacrifice of your time. Show them by the act of giving. Because giving, giving allows that expression of gratitude and praise to God by other people. Does that make sense to you, church? Here's the second one. Giving is a test of the sincerity of our love for God. Let's do it one more time. Giving is a test of the sincerity of our love for God. How many of you have ever said this, had it said to you, wanted to say it, was afraid how it would be received, this phrase. Listen, somebody says to you, I love you, and your response has either been or it's wanted to be, listen, Your actions speak louder than your words. Anybody ever say that? Anybody ever had that said to them? Right? Anybody ever wanted to say it and was afraid what would happen when you did? Right? Why do we say it? Why do we say it? Or why do we want to say it? Because it's... Everybody say it because it's... Because it's true. Listen, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book called Five Love Languages. Anybody ever read that? Right? A handful of you. I love it and I hate it. Right? I love it because it clarifies some human behavior. 
but I hate it because it differentiates love in categories that I don't think are biblical, right? So for example, some people live in a love language of the words of affirmation. They just need you to tell them all the time, right? I love you. You're amazing. You look beautiful, right? They need words. They need words. They need words. They need words, right? Other people need to know you love them because you're up getting them a glass of tea. You're doing the laundry. You're taking out the trash. You're paying the bills. You're making the bed. That's when they go, oh, I know he loves me. Some of you need somebody to buy you gifts all the time. I don't even know what to say to you people, right? Some of you are the kind of people that require physical touch. Just a little hand holding, right? Just a little hugging, just a little kissing, right? You just need some physical contact for you to feel love. Here's what scripture says. Scripture says, scripture says, love is not an emotion and love is not a word. Love is a what? It's an action, right? It's an action. And here's the thing about giving. Giving is a test of the sincerity of your love of God. You see, we don't think that. We think that giving is about, or, or my sincerity of my love is, I'm here on Wednesday night listening to Gord preach for an hour and a half. Right? I'm here on Sunday morning or Sunday Saturday night serving and I'm back on Sunday morning and I'm worshiping. Right? I'm going on a mission trip. I'm reading my Bible. Right? We use those things as tests. And guess what? Those don't cost us anything. And here's what scripture says. Listen to this. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 through 9. Paul says, But just as you excel in everything, this could be an epitaph of our church. Everything. We excel in faith. He said, You excel in speech. You excel in knowledge. He said, you, com- you excel in complete earnestness and in your love for us. He says this, see also that you excel in this grace of what? He's not talking about time. He's not talking about your talent. He's talking about your what? Come on, everybody say it. He's talking about our money. He says, excel in that grace. Go on. He says, I'm not commanding you. Paul's not commanding his church to give. He says, but I want, listen to this, but I want to what? Test, right? Test, it's the idea, that's the idea of proving something, right? Proving its authenticity. It's used to describe the act of cranking up a fire to to, to prove the integrity of the ore, right? Whether it's gold or silver, heat it up, get all the impurities out so we can see how pure it is. He says, I'm not commanding you to give, but I want you to understand what I want your giving to do. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Listen, I think one of the things that we, we take a lot of, we take a lot of what scripture says serious, I hope, right? We're living in a world today where 40% of people surveyed back in 1970 believed that every word of scripture was God breathed. A survey in 2018 said that 24% believe that. So I already know that the integrity of scripture is being questioned all the time. I know that's happening because I read my Bible and I know that's what's going to happen. People want preaching to simply tell them what truth they want. And I'm, listen, I'm never going to do that. 
And I may be wrong on some of my study. And thankfully, I have people here that listen online and in this room that tell me when I'm wrong. And I'm good with that. Or challenge me when they think I'm wrong. I'm good with that, right? But the truth is this about giving. Giving is not a command. A command is about a sacrifice. You're a sinner. You need to offer a sacrifice. It's a command to appease a God who you angered by your sin. Giving isn't a command, but he said this. You know what giving does? It tests the sincerity of your love. Why? Because action speaks louder than what? Than words. You see, we've unfortunately bought into the mantra that it's easy to substitute other words for money. It's a poor, it's a poor, it's a poor theology. When Jesus talks about money, he talks about money. When we substitute words, we've changed the integrity of scripture, right? Which is why we don't want to talk about money in church. I never understood why we wouldn't talk about money in church. Do you know how much time you spend outside of church talking about money? Yeah. You, you focus on it, don't you? Paying bills, taking vacations. You know, I was buying a guy at McDonald's today, which nearly caused me to lose my Christianity, right? He was in a car and he, and, and he was there and it was like, it was the first time he realized, and if, if, if you're in here or watch it online, I'm so sorry, right? But he was, he was at the window and he, and he was surprised that he had to pay. And so then he reached into his car and I saw him open his hand and he dropped a bunch of change. And then she disappeared and then she came back and he did that two more times to try to cover the cost of what I thought. And then the receipt came back and it was 12 inches long. And then when he got to the window, he got two drinks and drove off. I was like, I wanted to, I wanted to, Father, forgive me, right? Father, forgive me in regard to that, right? We talk about money all the time. It's a constant thing in our life. But we get to church and we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it so much. We say things like this. Well, God doesn't just care about your money. I give to God in other ways. I give him my time and I give him my talent. That's not what scripture's talking about. Scripture's talking about your money and my money. And here's what he says. Bring that verse back up if you don't mind. Back one more. He said, I'm not commanding you. But I want to... I want to get the impurity out and I want to see what's really there. I want to test in your giving the sincerity, the authenticity, the reality of your what? Love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. You see, here's the thing about giving. It puts a mirror up to how sincere you are about your love. I, I like words. I'm a kind of person that believes that words matter. Proverbs says there's the, power of, there's the power of life and death in the tongue. James says it's a small thing, and yet it sort of controls everything. Your mouth can get you in trouble. Amen? Right? Your mouth can get you a good date. Amen? For some of you, your mouth got you married. Way above pay grade. Right? Thank God for words. Right? But listen, you can only sell something so long with words, and eventually you have to do what? You got to back them up. You gotta back them up. 30 years in ministry, all those years in ministry at times has led me into sessions of counseling with people in relationship, married and otherwise. And the number one thing that always shows up in marriage is this person says they love me and I don't believe them. Well, why don't you believe them? Because they never show it anymore. Because love 
isn't about what you say. It's about what you do. And scripture says, you want to measure the sincerity of your love for God? Measure your giving. Ooh, we don't like that. Right? We don't like that. Because we quote scripture like this. Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. Right? Well, we're going we're gonna to read that scripture today in context. Right? But we don't want to have to give out of compulsion. You're not. Because the sacrifice is out of compulsion. Worship. Worship is given because you adore something. You value something. Listen. How many of you have somebody in your life that you love more than you ever imagined you could? Wow, some of you are in really sad shape. <laughs> or you still, maybe some of you are still deciding. I don't know, right? I mean, if you've got a child, let's be honest, you probably love that child more than you could have imagined. Yes? Right? And listen, for most of us that have children, what, what, what do you think you do to suggest to your child, hey, child, one, two, or three, this right here is a test of the sincerity of my love? Listen. What won't you do to convince your child that you love them? What won't you do? You'll do what? Most of you would do whatever it took. Amen? You just would. Because you want your child to know what? I love you. I love you. And you want to know what happens? There are things that communicate that to that child more than our words. Let me read this scripture in Philippians 2.5. Look what Jesus did. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, he says, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider that nature. Listen, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're not talking about somebody that gave up something that wasn't a big deal, right? Some of you got jobs and positions, and, and some of you are on boards, and some of you have titles that you wouldn't give up for anything in the world because they mean that much to you. Jesus was the actual Word of God. He wasn't just with God, but He what? He was God. And He said He didn't consider that equality with God something that He needed to hang on to. You know what He did instead? It says He made Himself what? He gave up everything and became what? Nothing, and he did it by taking the nature of a servant and being servant, doulos, slave, right? Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he, because he, he loved us. Because giving is always a test of love. It always has been. Right? How about First John chapter 3? John writes it this way. This is how we know what love is. It's a great thing to know what love is. Amen? I mean, some of us are in relationships. We're still trying to figure it out. Right? What do they mean when they say, I love you? Because it doesn't, doesn't resound with us. John clarifies it. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, what? Laid down his life for us. And we ought to... You want to know why? Because loving is about giving. It's about giving. Right? Because why? Listen. Ugh, I'm going to give this phone away. Right? Loving always, or giving is always a test of your true love for God. 
And we have to stop this nonsense of substituting words for giving when the Bible's talking about my money and your money. And Paul said, listen, I'm not commanding you to give, but I do want you to know this, that your giving is going to be a reflection. It's going to be a test of your true sincerity of your love, right? Listen, I don't know about you, but that sort of, that sort of causes me to have some introspective moments, right? About what I should be giving. And then I want to read one more scripture or the end of that scripture there in verse 17. Anyone has a material possession, sees their brother in need, but has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? Right? Children, dear children, let us not love with what? Let us not love with what? Come on, say it with what? Words or tongue, but with and in truth. Why? Because giving is a test of our sincerity of our love. Here's the last one. Last point. Giving will be a result of our experience. Everybody say that with me. Giving will be a result of our experience. All right. I'm going to read this real quick so we can, so we can, I can not try to make the children's ministry mad. All right. Even though I got one of them in here, maybe she'll help me out. Right. Okay. Listen, I want to read, I want to read, uh, skip Luke 18 and go to Mark 14. Listen to this story. Mark writes, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. So we're talking about the end of Jesus' earthly existence. It's two days before the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, before Jesus' crucifixion, right? And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for a sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. So two days before Jesus is crucified, they don't even have a plan yet. Okay, but not during the feast, they said. So the feast of unleavened bread was after the act of Passover. It lasted for seven days. They didn't want to do it during the feast. Okay, said not during the feast, they said, or the people are going to riot. There's over two million people in Jerusalem, right? So while he was in Bethany, reclining, Bethany, while he's reclining at the table in the home of a man named Moses, everybody read this. Okay, what do you know about leprosy? If you got leprosy, could you host parties in your house? No, so he was probably healed of leprosy. Amen? And yet, isn't it amazing? He's still identified by his thing in the past. Anybody relate to that? Right? Simon the leper. What a great way to, what, what a great way to identify him. Right? But listen, we get offended by that. Simon the leper isn't offended. Why? Because it tells a story of what, what? Of what Jesus did for him. Right, we get so focused on the fact that, oh, I don't want to be labeled this. I don't want to be labeled that. Simon the leper was hosting a party. No, he wasn't because Simon's not a leper anymore. So why is he Simon the leper? So you know what Jesus did for him. Right? I think sometimes we get a little wrapped up in those kind of things and we forget the power of what our past actually means in reflection of how amazing Jesus is. Right? We spend so much time trying to sell ourselves in this new me and this new you. Listen, it was Simon the leper. It was Rahab the what? Every single time the woman's name's mentioned in scripture, we call her a what? No offense taken. You want to know why? It simply says to everybody who reads it, not how terrible she was, how amazing our God is. So Simon the leper is hosting a party because he got healed. So Simon the leper is having a party in Bethany and says this. Everybody read the first three words with me. Everybody online, everybody here. 
a king. Listen, you can read the story of Matthew 26. Same story in Mark 14. And here's what you're going to see. Same three words. A woman came. Not surprising. Because in the day of Jesus, wasn't a lot of value placed on women. Right? You can go back and do your own research. But women were treated, women were treated as property. Right? They were to be bought, sold, traded. Right? Given up, traded up for, right? Women had no value. They weren't allowed to speak in court, right? They couldn't go to the temple, right? The, they had very little value. So it's not surprising that Mark, right, who writes Peter's account, and Matthew, don't name this woman. There's a lot of unnamed women in Scripture. This one did what? This woman came with an alabaster jar of what? Very expensive perfume. It was made of pure nard. You don't care when it was made. I can tell you. doesn't matter where they found it. Right? It says this. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Don't mistake this story for the one in Luke 7 where the woman pours the perfume on the feet of Jesus and washes them with her hair. Not the same story. Right? This woman breaks this jar and puts it on Jesus' head. Look what happens. It says this. Some of those present were saying indignantly, right? That word is the same word used in John 10 when it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Destroy. That's the word. Some people were saying this is killing us. That's how much they hated what she did. They, he said, they were saying, this is so stupid, it's killing me to one another. Why this waste of perfume? He goes on to say this. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. This perfume was worth 300 denarii. A denarii was one day's wage. 300 days. Right? Study, a study about six years ago said the average salary... In a house, in an American household, was $53,000. So basically what she did was she took $53,000 and she put it on Jesus' head. She just did it with perfume. And people were outraged by it. Indignant. Using a word that scripture describes to destroy something. That's how terrible they felt about her waste. Why this waste? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Man, that sounds really good, right? Jesus rebuked her harshly. And they, they rebuked her harshly. Jesus said, leave her alone. Now, clear that off, David. Whoever this woman was, she did an amazing thing. Yes or no? According to Matthew and according to Mark, this woman ain't got no name. Because that's the way most people wrote about women back then. It would be nice to know this woman's story. Because let's be honest, she probably didn't wake up that morning and go, you know what? I got this jar of perfume that's worth about 53000 bucks. I need something to do with it. I think I'll just break it and pour it on, over somebody's head. Right? I don't know about you. I don't wear perfume. But I've seen perfume being worn. And I... T- from what I tell is a couple squirts in the air, we walk right through it, right? Maybe a, a dink behind the ear. I know, I know way too much about it, okay? Right? But a bottle of eight ounces of perfume can last how long? For some of you, it's lasted more than it should, okay? You need some new perfume. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, all right? But she took an entire jar of perfume and in one moment... Poured it out on this guy's head. Wouldn't you like to know what her story is? 
Why she just showed up and did it? It would be nice to know that story. Listen to what John writes in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, John records this, or 14, I'm sorry, did I say John? I wrote John 14. David, find it's, uh, it's John 12. So I'm going to let him look it up. But in John 12, Jesus tells the same story. Right? He tells the story. And we find out that the story took place six months or six days before Passover in Bethany. And in John 12, David, did you get it yet? First one. There it is. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrives at Bethany. Where, come on, where who? You remember Lazarus? He was what? Was He was what? So he's in the house in Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And a dinner was given in the honor of Jesus. And Martha, remember Martha, who was she? Lazarus is what? Sister, she's serving, good for her. And guess who was sitting at the table? A dead man. A dead man is now sitting at the table with Jesus where his sister is serving in Bethany. Man, stories coming together. Those reclining at the table. Check this out. Listen. Then. Come on, say it. Then. All of a sudden, the woman has a name. The woman that came in Mark, Matthew 14 and Matthew 26 and Mark 14, she got a name. You know what her name is? Come on, you know what her name is? Listen, I know it's late, but this is going to preach. Okay? Mary. She ain't just a woman. Do you know who Mary is? She's a sister of a brother who died while Jesus tarried. And when he showed up, she said to him, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And they buried him. And he'd been in the ground for how many days? Four stinking to high heaven because he was decaying. And Jesus said three words to that cave. Lazarus, come forth. And she walks out of her room and she puts a year's worth of perfume on Jesus's head. Why? Because her experience, her experience with Jesus made that gift. It made it make sense. I can tell you this, that your giving, yes, it gives people, it gives people the ability to say thanks to others. You know what your giving does? It also is a test of your sincerity because actions do speak louder than words. But you know what your giving does most of all? It reflects your experience with Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If your brother died, and Jesus walked into the, into the cemetery where your brother had been dead for four days and said, Lazarus, come forth. And your brother, after four days in the ground, rose from the dead and was sitting at a table with Jesus in a home where your sister was serving. What wouldn't you give to him in an act of worship for that? Is there anything you wouldn't give him? No. Because when you experience Jesus in his true miraculous form, Jesus raised this man from the dead and he's sitting at the table. And Mary doesn't just show up out of nowhere. She had an experience with Jesus that changed her life forever. And she decided that pouring out that perfume that was worth a year's wages was nothing because of her experience. Yeah, listen, I think that story is incredible. 
here's what I know. There are people that come into contact with Jesus and their life never changes. And you want to know how I know it? All I have to know is what they give. Because when you meet Jesus, Lazarus experienced resurrection power. Jesus was resurrection power. He is resurrection power. It took three words to bring a dead guy to life. And now they're eating fish together in Simon the leper's home. And Mary pours out $53,000 on Jesus' head in one act. And if that happened in church today in America, we would say, man, she's a sacrificial giver. No. You know what she was? She was a person who worshipped. She worshipped. And Jesus told him so. Because if you go ahead and read Mark 14 and Matthew 26 and John 12, he tells them. This is why she did it. She did it to anoint me before my burial. She did it to worship me. Listen, I want to say this and then I'm done. There's always a battle in your brain, my brain, between what makes sense and what we should do in our relationship with Jesus. Listen, the people that saw this happen, even the disciples, it didn't make sense to them. As a matter of fact, it made so little sense to them, it made them angry, indignant. They said, this is destroying us. That's how stupid this is. Because it doesn't make sense. For some of you watching online and for some of you in here, you've been stuck with Jesus and your walk because you're trying to make everything make sense before you do it. If your walk with Jesus is based upon everything's got to make sense before I do it, you're going to end up being the disciples and you'll become indignant toward God at some point in time. Because if you want faith to always make sense, indignation is the only result that's going to take place. It didn't make Mary indignant to give her Her perfume that was worth a year's wages. Why? Because she wasn't sacrificially giving. She wasn't appeasing God. You know what she was doing instead? She was worshiping resurrection power. She was worshiping a God who raised her son from the dead. What should we do as people who haven't just been raised from the dead, but we have been saved from ever experiencing a second death? We've been saved to live for Ever. Forever. So what, what wouldn't you give to Jesus? What would, not what would you give? Because what would you give would be a sacrifice. My question is, what wouldn't we give to Jesus for what he's done? Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9 in the last scripture. Remember this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly. Is going to reap sparingly. Whoever is going to sow generously. They're going to reap generously. He says each man should give. What they have decided. In their heart to give. Not reluctantly. Or under compulsion. He says. For God loves a cheerful giver. Listen. Compulsion. Obligation. Is about sacrifice. Giving cheerfully. Is about worship. What wouldn't you give to the man who paid your debt 
and made it possible for you and I to live forever. Mary decided a year's wages, a year's wages wasn't too much to give for a man who raised her brother from the dead. I wonder what our giving says about Jesus and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus to appease a God who needed a debt paid. But I also thank you for the act of worship that Jesus gave you in laying down his life for us and understanding the value that he placed upon you as his father. Lord, we, my, my prayers for all of us that have been touched by Jesus will stop fighting. <laughs> we'll stop fighting money. We'll stop fighting in our brain that when we balance our checkbook and there's eight bucks left that we can't give and we'll start giving as an act of worship because we'll ask ourselves, what wouldn't we give? What would we give to Jesus who paid our debt, set us free and promises us eternity in heaven? I pray that we'll see our money different. I pray that we'll see you different. And I pray that in all these things, Lord, that you'll use it to bring others to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. God bless the church.